so we're uh, getting into part two of this uh, podcast with Dr. Lewis Harrison and Dr. Langston Clark. Uh, this is where we really get into more of the specific research topics that Dr. Harrison has studied over the over the years. We talk about uh, Dr. Clark's uh, work in uh, HBCUs, and we get more in in depth on this one. Uh, whereas the other, the first podcast was a little bit more about Dr. Harrison's. Uh, path of study and what type of research he does um, and more more or less information or um, guidance or suggestions or recommendations and um, advice to doctoral students and young scholars. So um, hopefully you'll enjoy this one. Again, I apologize about the uh, audio issues. I spent um, several hours trying to figure it out and um, if anybody out there is an audio genius, uh, please uh, do contact me. Um, anyway, uh, thanks again for all the support, and um, we're getting started off uh, really well for a year two. And you talked about a little bit about your kind of. Uh, race, ethnicity, and that's kind of the areas that you study. Can you describe your research? Kind of like give us a, an elevator pitch of what your lines of research are? Okay, uh, if you have kind of a long elevator ride. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I kind of cross both physical education and sport. In physical education, I'm, I'm really interested in how race uh, influences the way teachers respond to students and how uh, curriculum may develop as a response to race or different different culture of the classroom, how to uh, uh, what's the term I'm looking for, how to be able to connect better with with students of color uh, because again, when you look at our teacher population, it 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 hasn't changed very much from the past. It's still largely uh, white females, and when students of color come into the classrooms, we we really I don't think we've really studied how that interaction uh, as well as we should uh, to 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 be able to make sure we can connect with the students. We we talk a lot about curriculum. We talk about uh, different pedagogical styles and all of those things, but we don't talk about how we cross those uh, cultural boundaries to make sure that all of the all of those great pedagogical techniques and all that great curriculum, how it interacts with the actual students when these students are different from uh, have a different cultural background and a different understanding than the teachers that are teaching them. Uh, and by the same token, I, I'm, I'm really interested in issues around sport to try to help coaches understand uh, that even though we say athletics, there's a level playing field, that there are differences in how people understand things, how people perceive things uh, in, the, in the sport realm. So uh, also interested in how specifically how African-American athletes how they regard sport, how they look at sport, how they see sport. Uh, in many cases, uh, the African-American athletes see sport as uh, a way out of maybe some negative situations they may be living in. And uh, that's good in some ways, but it can become problematic in others. And that's one of the things I study is this idea of racial identity 
in sport and how it impacts the way we uh, engage in sport and try to utilize sport as something more than just some recreational activity or something to be interested in, but uh, a way of life, say. So, um, Doc, you you mentioned uh, a few times to me when I was in school that when you when you got to UT that you got a new education. Um, yes. And I'm wondering if you could speak to a little bit about that new education you got, given that your your research deals with um, social issues and like social constructs and identities and things of that nature. How how have the shift or the change in the uh, departmental or college culture affected your research when you went to CNI? Well, there were, again, like I said earlier, there were a lot of scholars in our department looking at these issues around uh, race and culture and gender and all of those things. And uh, it was interesting that they kind of look at it, looked at it through a somewhat of a critical lens. And my training up to that point had been pretty uh, positivistic. So it, it, it kind of opened me up and broadened my horizons and helped me to be able to look at things a lot more critically and, and uh, allowed me to see things again from a different perspective. And I, um, I'm really glad I had that, that experience. I had this opportunity to work with other colleagues that, that helped me uh, challenge me to see things a little bit differently uh, than I did. So, um, so Dr. Harrison, do you, and I don't want to like categorize you into a different, cause it seems like you've done sport, uh, work, you've done work with, um, you know, collegiate athletics, you've done work in PE. Do you look at yourself as a sport researcher, a physical education researcher or a blend or, has it been like more of an evolution that you've moved away from certain types of research to something else? Um, I guess a, a, a blend might be a way to describe it, but I look at myself more as a race culture uh, researcher, and I simply look at race and culture in those different uh, areas. So. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's the PE or the sport that drives me. It's the cultural issues around those in those areas that, that really interest me. So I was in probably 2013 or 2014. I was at a doctoral seminar at Teachers College that you came to speak at. And mm -hmm. I remember reading these papers and one of them was living the dream or awakening from the nightmare, race and athletic identity. And I remember reading that chapter from the book, I've cited that in a couple of my uh, recent papers. Um, you also have an article back in 2002, African American and racial identity in sport, and those are, you know, two of your high, most highly cited papers. So, can you kind of talk about, you know, you've said a little bit about what your interest in this topic is, but what is there a why why you really got pushed into this? Like, when did you take that deep dive into it? Has it always been something that you've wanted to study? Because it seems like for a very long time you've been on this, you know, very similar subject, even though you've moved into some college athletics and you've done work in PE. So can you talk about the why behind why you research this? 
But yeah, that's that's a interesting question, uh, and I have to go back to LSU as uh, the only uh, black faculty member in the kinesiology department. Um, I noticed the course that I taught, the athletic department would put a lot of athletes in my class. <laughs> mm. um, and I guess I had a maybe a soft spot for, for student athletes. I would not give them grades, obviously, but uh, I would work with them and try to get them to understand how important it was for them to get the academic aspect of, of their career straight as just as much as the athletic part of it. Um, but I noticed they would continually put those students in my class because I would work with them and talk to them and motivate them uh, to do better. Uh, so since they kept putting the athletes in my class, I figured I would design a course that would teach the athletes what's going, what's happening to them, what to help them to understand, uh, you know, the environment that they're operating in a little bit better. So I created this course called the African American in Sport that I still teach to this day. Uh, and, and it's basically a course that talks about the history of, of the African American athlete, looks at the... Uh, the development over the years looks looks at it historically, uh, looks at the uh, anthropometric, uh, the, some of the scientific research around there, some of the psychological research, uh, look at issues of identity, uh, media, how the media impact African American athletes, just a lot of different things on how African American athletes are are characterized in society. Um, and the course has been very, it's been very, uh, you know. Uh, prominent it was it was a good course at LSU although I did have a little bit of pro problem with it but uh, it's even been more popular here at, at UT so how many students are enrolled in that class per semester how how big is that class well I actually have two versions of it we have here at the University of Texas uh, what's called a signature course program where freshmen will come in and actually take a course with a professor rather than a grad student or, or an instructor. Uh, and uh, it, it's designed to get freshman students in contact with some of the more senior um, people on, on the campus. Uh, that course I teach is the African American Sport Experience where it's kind of a light version of my other course where we simply kind of glaze the, 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 the you know, just kind of skim the surface and talk a little bit about the issues of, uh, of race and sport. That class I have about 100 people in. Um, I also teach another version of the course in the spring uh, where we go into a, a lot more depth and look at athlete activism, uh, a little bit more into the media issues. But in that course, I usually have uh, about 50 to 70 students in each spring semester. So. So do you think that this, like, I mean, LSU and UT Austin, two big sports schools, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think that it's a, it's a different, I don't know how to phrase this. Is it a different environment to teach it in than, you know, like a smaller state school or something like that? I mean, obviously the, the, the topic is relevant wherever you go, but is it, 
is there something different when you're teaching it at a you know place that brings in hundreds of thousands of people a week to watch go ahead Langston yeah because I, I used to TA that course and I taught the course my first three semesters here at UTSA and like I have comparisons um, I, I, I think UTSA's football team is I think less than I think we're less than five years old no we, we might be like we're less than 10 years old um, and the the way the students the way the students at UT Austin the student athletes at UT Austin interacted with the course was very different than the way the student athletes here at UTSA interacted with the course and one of the reasons is it's because of the student population we have a lot more black students um, at UTSA and the few times where I taught the class the majority of the students were black and so the class belonged to the student athletes um, they they in many ways set the tone for the way the discussions would go um, if if I presented a topic or a guest speaker presented a topic they were much more involved and vocal in their opinions about some of the sensitive topics that we were talking about whereas at UT Austin it was it was it was it was a stark contrast. You may have one or two student athletes who were out there talking and vocal, um, but they were much more introverted at UT Austin than they were here at UTSA. Um, and it, um, the class sizes were different, but I, I think it's because w where I was and the type of school that I that I where I'm working is a minority serving institution that perhaps and this is just my guess that they felt like they had more ownership of um, the education and, and, you know, felt like that the classroom was theirs. And I think that that's, that's an effort that, you know, Dr. Harrison tries to put in into the class at UT Austin, where it's like, you know, the class discussions really is an opportunity for the students to learn from each other. But I don't know if the student athletes at um, UT felt as if they had ownership of the class in the same way. Yeah. And, and at a, a place like UT where uh, there's so much hanging on what they say, uh, whereas what they say may wind up in the newspaper or something like that the next day. They're very reluctant to, to say, especially say anything critical. Um, so, yeah, it, it was like I was about to say, I really don't have anything to compare it to, but I think Langston made a very good comparison there. Uh, I've only worked at these two schools and, and these only environments in which I've, I've taught in, but I, I, I can see over the years that athletes, uh, especially black student athletes, are very reluctant to say anything critical about athletic departments inside those classes for fear that what they say may have some negative repercussions, uh, you know, uh, on the team or whether they get playing time or whether they get to start or something like that. So do you bring that up in your classes when you talk about athlete activism and, you know, do you still broach that topic and explain like this is this is happening to you in this class? You're afraid to speak up because you're afraid of playing time and stuff. Now let's move this up to the NFL or NBA or, you know, track and field world championships or something like that. Right, and I do, and one of the things I try to do is try to take some of the pressure off of them uh, to respond, but we still talk about it. Um, I, I want them to be able to at least sit back and learn about it, even if they're not going to respond, even if they're not going to 
you know, take the risk of saying anything, they at least can listen to what, you know, what the scholars say or what the research says about those kinds of things. So I want them to at least be exposed to it, whether they respond to it or not in the classroom is, is okay. I'd like for them to respond, but I, I understand why they don't respond uh, many times. But uh, I try to take that pressure off of them, but we still talk about it in depth. And a lot of times, it's really interesting that some of the other students will say more about it than the student-athletes themselves. A lot of the other students will be a lot more critical than the student-athletes themselves because they don't have anything to lose. Right. Can, you, can we take a side tangent real quick about the Living the Dream or Awakening from the Nightmare um, sure. article? And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of your work has found that, you know, African-American athletes, black athletes have, have looked at sport as a, as a way out. And you've looked at specifically, uh, college students. And, you know, we, uh, Ray Frederick and I conducted this, uh, research study in, in Harlem. We ran an after school basketball program for sixth, seventh and eighth grade boys in a, um, a title one school. And we ran basketball program. It was, 100% of the kids were black and you know they they had this same theme like when we talked to them about you know what are you going to do what's your career options what do you want to do and a lot of them talked about going to the NBA right and they talked about using uh, you know and they didn't necessarily equate and these were sixth graders they didn't equate the fact that they were going to college they were going to college to play that mandatory one year to go in and interestingly the the reviewers came back when I cited your research the reviewers came back and said you know those are college athletes I'm like yeah that's the point like these are sixth graders and they're saying the same thing as a lot of what happened in in your latest or your your research so can you kind of speak to that as a just like an overall phenomenon and have you seen that trend waning or is that still very very prevalent i think it's still very prevalent uh and <laughs> we talk about the reviewers saying that but um the thing is is where did they get this from i mean they didn't ju they don't just start those attitudes when they get to college that, that it's there a long time before then yeah. uh in fact you can probably go to any elementary school and get the same responses uh what we have to understand is our, our uh, media has a huge influence on people and our perceptions and how we see things. And when you have little black boys where the only, well, one of the few places that they see other black men uh, with a positive image projected is, is in sport. And here's a place that they don't have to uh, quote unquote sell out or act like other people they can be themselves they can uh, get tattooed they can wear uh, dreadlocks they can do all of those things uh, and still make a lot of money still wield a lot of power still be popular uh, you don't have to become a nerd it's it's very attractive to young black kids so um doc i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um about the pipeline um, of former black student athletes that um, you work with to get through PhD programs 
and a little bit about the African American Mental Research Initiative uh, at UT Austin, and then maybe about more recently, um, you know, some of the students that you brought in that have been black female athletes as well. Yes, one one of the things that I've always tried to do is is to find African American former athletes. Uh, to do this kind of work because they have a natural interest for it. But not only that, they have a perspective, I think, that they can bring an insider perspective uh, to this kind of research. Uh, so I, it's it's always good to find a former, you know, students don't have to be former athletes to do this, uh, but I think they have a different perspective than those who've not been in the trenches of athletics. So I've, I've tried to, uh, seek out those kind of individuals or invite those kinds of individuals to come in and work with me to, to, to better understand the issues around African-American athletes. And those who are in physical education, again, most of them that come to work with me have some kind of interest in uh, racial or ethnic or cultural differences. So I try to try to fertilize that interest to, to, to get them to, um, continue that kind of work and do that kind of work because I think we need more of that in uh, in our area to better understand some of these issues that a lot of people that just don't want to touch or stay away or shy away from. Um, the uh, African-American Male Research Initiative here at University of Texas is through our Division of Diversity. And uh, the great thing about that initiative is that it provides me a place to be able to um, engage our African-American graduate students in when sometimes when I can't get teaching assistantships or uh, any kind of uh, financial aid for students, I can always go to our division of diversity and, and many of our students either work in or have worked in uh, the African-American male research initiatives. Uh, we also put on an African-American athlete um, summit every January. Uh, it's kind of the highlight of our year uh, where we actually bring people from all around the country to come in and talk about issues uh, that deal with the African-American athlete. So um, that relationship with the Division of Diversity uh, is a very productive one that has helped me to uh, bring in students. In fact, Dr. Moore, who is our uh, Vice President for Diversity and Community Engagement, uh, helps me to recruit students who are uh, interested in this area, and helps, helps me to bring more students. So, uh, You know, we are very underrepresented in minority populations in teacher education and in physical education and kinesiology at the um, at the professor level, the assistant professor level. So is that something that you're actively trying to recruit more? Is that? Well, I, I, I can't say that I'm actively recruiting now because I'm kind of on the downside of my career. <laughs> uh, but that, that has been one of the areas that I, I've wanted to try to address is to bring more uh, African-American uh, doctoral students and, and get them into the professorate uh, to diversify it more because I mm -hmm. think uh, we need that different perspective uh, that these 
uh, young men and women bring to the professorate. Um, yeah, and again, I, go ahead. And I think one of the the reason I asked that question is because I I've seen job descriptions and I and I know what at George Mason one of the you know the goals all across the university whether it's in business or you know science or math or PE it's to recruit and retain a highly diverse faculty right, right. but I think you know I don't. I don't know if there's any actions taken at the PhD level to actively seek out and recruit African-American, Latino, Asian Pacific Islander, kind of like these underrepresented populations into the PhD program. And do you know of any initiatives there? Are you, um, are you aware of any, or do you think that there should be more of like, I don't know, more awareness or more professional development and how, how to, how to accommodate that because we can put that in writing at the university level, but if we're not doing anything in the recruitment process of who we're bringing into study for PhDs, nothing's going to change. Yeah, th there are some efforts to do that. In fact, we brought in Langston on uh, <laughs> a diversity fellowship, uh, which is which is designed to bring in uh, underrepresented groups into doctoral programs. But uh, again. The, the, the efforts are, I think, somewhat impotent. They're not strong enough. Um, they, they need to be, there needs to be more resources put into those kinds of things. And, but another area I think is really important is we have to get, uh, we have to expand our perceptions or what we see as the ideal doctoral candidate. Sometimes individuals will come in, they may not have extremely high GRE scores and, and those kinds of things, or may not have a lot of verbal skills for one reason or another, but that does not mean that the individual is not uh, intelligent and not capable of learning what, it, what needs to be, you know, what it takes to be a professor. I think we, we, we miss out on a lot of individuals. Uh, and then some individuals just may not be ready at the time, but if we would cultivate some of those relationships with individuals who are really interested, uh, it may be something that might happen a little further down the road. Uh, for example, I have a graduate student right now who, when he came to me initially, uh, I, I thought that he wasn't ready. Okay, so we turned him down, but he stayed in touch. Now, uh, five years later, he comes in with a great experience. Uh, spent time in Panama, uh, learning the culture and the issues around race there. Now he's here, he's much more mature, and he's thriving in our doctoral program. So I think it, it takes, I think we have to be able to look at those potential doctoral students a little more differently. There's not a mold that they fit into that says that they're going to be successful. And, and you just have to look to see if the individual has uh, a real interest uh, and they're willing to work hard to achieve the goals. I, I think if we work with them, we can we can get them where they need to be. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. I think. So to finish off, I, 
I don't know, maybe this will go down a very long tangent, but um, one of the last questions I have is, you know, when we were at ICEP this summer, um, I had had this conversation with uh, Jen Walton Fissett at the end of our podcast before, like almost a year ago now. And I asked about, you know, she does work in social justice and uh, promotes that a lot and does work with uh, within race, ethnicity. And so I had this great conversation with her about how she, as a white person, talks about race in her teacher education classes. So I accidentally deleted that podcast, so that never got aired. But we had this conversation at ICEP again with Kevin Richards and Aaron Santeo, and we sat down with the group of four and we talked about this. And, you know, I had a colleague of mine ask and say, you know, did you think about when you're when you're talking about this, you're talking with four white people, right, about race. And, you know, I it didn't honestly, it didn't cross my mind. Right. I just thought, hey, this is the same experience that you all are having, how do you do it? Just trying to like start the conversation. But I was wondering, can you, what would, what advice would you give to a Pete professor and Langston jump in too? What advice would you give in how to talk about race when, you know, the professor identifies as white and, you know, maybe 90% of the class is white and, you know, one or two people of color in, in the classes? Uh, that's a great question and one I think we need to deal with more honestly much more often. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, Risto, we need more white allies uh, in this work. Uh, I think we need m many more white people who aren't afraid and aren't overly sensitive to be able to talk very freely uh, and, you know, poignantly about, about these issues. Uh, and we need to have more dialogue um, about this and, and people, you know, if we can just put down our oversensitivities for a moment and talk about this, just like we talk about other issues in research, just like we talk about all the other things that we research, race and, 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 and gender and all of those things are things that we need to deal with, okay? And uh, you don't have to be black to talk about social justice, but I think you have to have the perspective of the people who are being uh, discriminated against. You can't just talk about it without uh, any people of color at all ever, you know, entering the conversation. But I think I think I think what you did is fine, and I think that, that there's a, a certain degree of uh, vulnerability that people have to be able to um, expose themselves to, to, to be able to move from where they are to where they need to be in terms of uh, understanding some of these issues around race. And that's on both sides, both people of color and white people have to, have to be able to, to, to take that risk to be vulnerable, to, to maybe get your feelings hurt a little bit, uh, but to all, but to be able to deal with these things in, in very productive ways. And Langston, you can jump in on that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily see something wrong with, you know, a group of white scholars having a conversation, um, 
about about race. Um, I don't. I guess I, I mean, were you all just like having a side conversation about it, or was it like a panel discussion presentation? Like, what what was the context of it? It was a. It was at the end of a podcast that we had recorded. And I brought it up and said, we never got to finish this conversation. Right. And it was just a, an open open discussion. It was not, you know, structured yeah. or formatted in any yeah. way. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, because, I mean, it, it would be no, no different, than, I think, than, um, you know, me, Dr. Harrison, and, you know, two other doc students who were all black males talking about you know how black males deal with stuff um and sometimes I, I think that there's there there is a need for a space for people to like have conversations amongst themselves on how they deal with particular issues because you all have a perspective of dealing with um issues of race in a critical way as white folk that like i don't have and that i may not understand um and you know my me being there may not may not uh facilitate the best candid open discussion with you all and you all's feelings dealing with tensions and whatnot so i I think there are there are at times um a need for people to have a space amongst themselves to have critical conversations and i don't think that that takes away from you know i I mean i know erin and you know like very well like she's a good friend of mine like i could still have she's not going to not have a conversation with me about race and stuff Mm -hmm. so just because you you have those conversations in one context with a certain group of people doesn't mean that you aren't then able to go have the conversation with a mixed, uh, culturally, racially mixed group of people either. So I, I don't think it detracts all the time from from progress that needs to be made. Are there are there suggestions that you would give to, you know, let's say in in a year I'll pick up a. Um, social justice in physical education where we cover race, gender, sexual orientation, um, you know, tons of different topics. How, how I broach that topic, what are, you know, I mean, obviously we just kind of talk about it, but I feel like in my position, I feel very awkward talking about certain topics because I don't know how to talk about it, right? Mm. I don't want to be, you know, uh, I don't want to speak for anybody, right? I don't want to, you know, cite some specific research that's an isolated, like, qualitative study that might not work in what a bunch of different, um, you know, different scenarios. I just, you know, I, I want to open that conversation. And I, and I understand that if I don't talk about it, then it's not going to get talked about in in that class, most likely. So I need to be able to just kind of, deal with being uncomfortable and talking about it but are there you know suggestions that you would give to to people like me so i think um there was a former doc student at ut austin um who who was in the pipeline behind me who got a job um in a place that's you know lily white i mean there's probably very little um diversity there and he 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 had asked another doc student who who is currently in grad school to be a guest speaker in the class to talk about um, some of his research dealing with um, physical activity and um, racial identity racial identity and like sort of their religious identity which 
which are very, two things that are very sort of difficult to talk about, right? And so sometimes it's just as easy as having a guest speaker come talk about certain things, you know, mm-hmm. who may, who may then um, have a perspective of a particular issue that makes students think about something in a different way than you could present um, as their as their professor, faculty member, or what have you. Um, so that that's one of the things. Um, that I would suggest and then also it could be done like by bringing in if it's a physical education class bringing in physical education teachers in the K through 12 setting who um, who have a perspective of these issues that as people in doctoral programs that we're so distant from um, could be sort of a refresher for what's what's going on um, what's really going on in our schools K through 12. Um, that right. isn't necessarily so theoretical. Right. Awesome. Um, uh, Langston, Dr. Harrison, do you have any um, final kind of um, wrap-ups or words of advice to PhD students or doctoral students or anything that you want to finish off with? Uh, no, I'm... I'm grateful for this opportunity to talk about this again uh, it's it's, uh, it's an area that sometimes people are very uncomfortable dealing with and I think uh, that's where that's where learning takes place you know in the, in the places and the spaces where you're uncomfortable uh, we, we, we never move from where we are if we're always in our comfort zone so thanks for providing this opportunity to uh, for us to talk about this and, and sometimes you know, even as a person of color talking about this, it takes me out of my comfort zone. Uh, so, uh, again, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thank you very much. Langston? Uh, yeah, just, just you know, again, uh, thank you for the opportunity. And I, I think for all, all doc students, uh, being isolated is not, um, it's not good. So um, I think it's important for us to not be the doc student who is so wrapped up in our work that we don't have a sense of community. Um, and that community doesn't necessarily have to come from the people in your program. Or if you're struggling with certain things, uh, particularly those in the realm of social justice, you know, don't be afraid to like send emails to the scholars who are already publishing things um, because the community could come just looking forward to going to SHAPE or going to AERA or another conference where you just meet up with people you know, once a year or two or three times a year because you see them at the same conferences. Um, community is probably, um, to me, the most important thing that you can have uh, going through a doctoral program. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate both of you coming on. And uh, we'll link to uh, your faculty bios on the on the notes. And, and uh, Langston, you're on Twitter. Dr. Harrison, I'm, are you on Twitter as well? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Yep, you're welcome.